0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Of Interest podcast. I'm Gareth Vaughan and today's guest is Grant Spencer. Grant is Adjunct Professor at Victoria University's School of Economics and Finance. Prior to that, he was Deputy Governor and Head of Financial Stability at the Reserve Bank from 2007 until September 2017 and then he was Acting Governor during the six months up to March 2018. Grant, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Now, Grant is here to talk about the hottest economic topic of the moment, which is, of course, inflation. Look, Grant, I thought a really interesting point to start with um, was looking back to your last um, official cash rate, um, I guess, review when you were in the role of governor back in March 2018. Now, it, it presents a, I've got the statement in front of me and it pre- presents a very different to world to the one we're now living in um, with uh, consumer price index inflation running at an annual rate of just one point one percent then. Of course, now we're at six point nine percent, and we're we're expecting that it will probably rise higher even from there. So look, I, I, you know we are hearing a lot about price rises at the moment and everything from food to mortgage rates, rent. petrol, of course, is a, a favorite. Building materials and pretty much anything else you can think of. So I just thought if we if we start back, you know, looking back the four years, I mean, a lot has obviously changed in the world. So, you know, what in your view has really happened to cause this big spike in inflation that we're now seeing?
1: Uh, well, thanks, Gareth, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, back then, I mean, we had you know a very long period of low inflation. And you know, declining interest rates. It was really that period right back from the global financial crisis, um, <clears throat> and it was a, a period of stability in prices, stability in interest rates, and really, you know, now it's all changed. And of course, the 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 main trigger was the advent of COVID back in early 2020, and I guess what we had then was we had this big supply shock and at the same time um, a very uh, big policy reaction so you know inflation is always driven by persistent excess demand and in this situation over the past um, two and a half years i guess now we've had persistent excess demand resulting from an adverse supply shock and expansionary um, uh, demand policies in particular monetary policy and fiscal policy so the initial supply side obviously the the uh, uh, shock was the result of the lockdowns that happened here and in many other countries and um, they gave rise to rigidities in both labor markets material markets capital goods shortages price price increases and then at the same time the the the, the governments were out there saying right we you know we need an emergency response so we had fiscal actions um here we had um, of course the wage subsidies uh range of policies around the world in the us you had this helicopter money where everyone just mailed uh, had a check in the mail um <clears throat> so a lot of money coming into um, household uh, bank accounts at the same time you had the central banks saying okay this is um, we need to move to sort of crisis emergency settings interest rates were already quite low and, and they would drop to zero and in some cases even negative we had um you know, a big step up in quantitative easing, uh, credit easing, forward guidance. So basically pulling out all the stops to try and soften um, the the impact of, of these lockdowns. So <clears throat> the, that excess demand pressure, I mean, I'd say initially it was felt mainly in asset markets. So, you know, right from, really equity markets were picking up from sort of mid 2020 and then you've had the housing markets uh, moving up and of course last year we had a real housing market boom you know most of that uh, based on uh, very cheap finance and increasingly at the same time you had inflation coming through uh, goods and services prices and starting to sort of permeate through the system affecting uh, wage increases affecting inflation expectations. Um, so the policies you say, well, well, you know, the emergency policies were actually pretty successful because they, they stopped um, the, the, the sort of potentially drastic uh, economic downturn that everyone was uh, predicting. Um, early on in 2020, so you know, unemployment rates did not go up to the to the uh, levels that were feared. Um, growth didn't um, <clears throat> fall apart, and so the policies were successful in, in moderating the impact of those supply shocks. But the problem was that they kept they kept the easy policies for too long, and despite the fact that the economic uh, recovery, you know, was stronger than expected. So, you know, while that was happening, we we again had then the further supply shock earlier this year of the um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, um, which persisted uh, or perpetuated the um, the the supply side impact higher oil prices, higher high energy prices across the board. And also you've had this um, situation in China where the, um, the Chinese uh, policy of zero COVID, you know, has perpetuated a lot of the supply chain disruptions that um, had happened earlier on and everyone expected, well, those would sort of clear out once covid was um, coming to an end but you know that that's again has been perpetuated so the story that the policy makers were giving um sort of through last year that this was uh these price increases were temporary transient you know we just hang on hang on and um we just need to sit through this and eventually they'll go away um you know that wasn't happening and so the, the, the policy makers realised that in fact, um, they had a, a bigger inflation problem on their hands than they uh, had reckoned for, and that they needed to do something about it. So, I mean, Reserve Bank of New Zealand started tightening you know, October last year, which was late in the piece, but it was earlier than most of the other central banks, which have only just got started now they've realised they're sort of behind the eight ball. They're really tightening with a vengeance, and as hence we, we saw yeah, last night with the Fed.
0: Yeah, yeah, the Federal Reserve obviously going 75 basis points. Look, um, that's a great um, explanation, Grant, of, of, of what has happened in the last couple of years. I, I think just sort of casting my mind back to, to March 2020... I just remember as as covid was sweeping the the globe and we were watching countries around the world go into these things called lockdowns and you know, cases were sort of popping up in New Zealand the financial markets were going you know haywire and it, it sort of did almost feel like the world was ending and so obviously as as you've described policymakers, be they central banks or, or governments, responded very, very aggressively, and there were those terrible forecasts of, you know, double-digit unemployment and huge falls in house prices and all these types of things. I'm just wondering, you know, you, you've described that that monetary policy response, which of course in New Zealand was reducing the official cash rate down to 0.25%, a record low, and then that large-scale asset purchase program or the the QE, where the Reserve Bank bought, ultimately. $53.5 billion dollars worth of, of New Zealand government and local government bonds in the secondary market off banks, we saw that. And with the government, the fiscal um, policy response, which was uh, obviously uh, you know, the government spending money to, to try and influence the economy, which you highlighted, the wage subsidy scheme. When, when did it become apparent to you that, that perhaps um, you know, these policies had worked very well and perhaps ought to be dialled back?
1: Yeah, well, that, that's a good question, and, um, you know, in my view, it was, if you go back through the economic indicators, the, the, the first signs that things were not going to be as bad as expected was really um, just late in 2020, and, and, and if you th- think about the market indicators, um, some of the market prices as an indication of expectations. Um, I think it was around um, know, September October 2020 when the bond market um, when bond rates, interest rates that had been falling started to move up again. And that was in in response to emerging economic indicators both here and internationally which were saying you know this this the outturn for real activity, in the global economy is not going to be as bad as we thought and unemployment's not going to be as bad as we thought and there was a period there you might recall when the reserve bank of new zealand was talking about the possibility of negative interest rates and at that point which was around mid 2020 you know the, the in- term interest rates were still falling But then as we got later in the year the indicators came through and that negative interest rate thing in new zealand just was taken off the table so no well that's clearly not going to be needed so that's when the information flow started to actually turn so yeah i would say the first signs of it and when you know policymakers in the central bank should have been thinking yeah what is this telling us They clearly stopped talking about negative interest rates, so clearly their mood had changed, but they kept it at the 25 basis points for another year. So, you know, my argument would be, well, through that period, they should have been thinking about moving back gradually towards a more neutral position rather than waiting till the end of 2021. Um, And of course, um, you know, different countries had different sets of indicators but I think you know that this, that shape of the um, uh, <clears throat> trend in bond rates, you know, was was generalised across the the major markets. It wasn't just New Zealand. So that's when the information started to turn.
0: Now, in terms of the the actual inflation picture, I'm really interested in 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 in, and I guess the the information that that you get when you're you're at a central bank and um, I mean a personal anecdote that I experienced which at the time really surprised me so this is January 2021 it was the school holidays and my youngest son had a friend round to play and his dad came to pick him up and the father works with the, the freight industry and he you know we sat down and had a beer on a January afternoon as the kids were playing and, and he said "What's the, when's the Reserve Bank going to do something about all this inflation I'm seeing coming through. And I, I just said, what? You know what, are you, you know, what are you talking about? This is January 2021. And now, I mean, I, I'm just curious. I mean, obviously, in, when you're in a central bank, you've got all sorts of data coming from everywhere. Um, are you hearing anecdotes like that from people as well?
1: Well, it was clear there were, there were price increases around the place and a lot of them were due to, you know, um, these uh, constraints in labour markets and in uh, material market supply chains etc so um, the key is you know the interpretation of that 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 so-called inflation price increases is this a a temporary um, shock supply side blip or is it something that policy should respond to with a generalized firming of policy and that's always the nature of the discussion um, and it's very easy to um, sort of be biased in one direction and just sit pat until you've got a convincing case that overall you know, core inflation or underlying inflation is moving, therefore we need to move. Um, <clears throat> so it's difficult for policymakers to, to turn policy because as soon as you turn policy, um, the markets will expect that you're going to continue to tighten and the whole shape of the interest rate cu- uh, curve will change and you can have a significant effect on things just by that decision to uh, sort of make what start to make one increase rather than being on an easing mode to start. And to even just a, mode, even
0: right. just a comment from a central bank governor can have that effect, can't it? sometimes? That's right, it can. Yeah. so
1: that's why they're nervous about shifting from easing cycle to tightening cycle until you know they can see the whites of the eyes of, of inflation but that's also the challenge because as it's turned out you know the, the, they've tightened really they really should have been tightening earlier well they should have been moving back to neutral and this is the thing is that the default should be seen as neutral not as super easy and you know.
0: By neutral, we're talking about a, an official cash rate that isn't stimulating or, um, I guess, restricting the economy, isn't it? So do, where would you see a, a neutral OCR now?
1: Well, that's right. The, the idea of neutral is just in driving a car that, yeah, you're not, you haven't got your foot flat on the gas and you haven't got your foot on the brake. Um, it's a pretty sort of nebulous concept, so there's no precise number. But presently, I mean, the Reserve Bank itself thinks uh, that neutral is around 2%, around the 2% OCR, and that's probably, you know, a reasonable guess. There's no point. Different models will give you different measures of neutral. It may be a bit higher than that. Uh, But it's, it's sort of the concept that's important. To, you know you know if you've got super easy policy you should be moving back towards neutral if you think that um you know things are starting to change and that you know you shouldn't be just focused on one of those objective one of the dual mandate objectives
0: so um In terms of, you know, you you noted that the RBNZ did begin increasing the official cash rate in October of last year. The Federal Reserve in the US didn't start until March of this year, and they're obviously now moving in big steps. I mean, when do you think they perhaps should have started moving?
1: Well, I'm not sure, I don't have a date for them, but clearly they should have been starting earlier um, and you know they should also probably have been thinking about the, the fiscal stance um, earlier as well. Because, for example, in the U.S., there's still a very easy uh, fiscal policy, so that the initial uh, fiscal injection back in 2020, you know, that was perpetuated through 21. Then another package, last, uh, um, you know, earlier this year. So. Uh, you know, that's going to make the challenge more difficult in the US, having fiscal policy still pre- pretty easy and being late starting um, with the monetary policy tightening. And you know, they've also got an issue with a very tight uh, labour market and a lot of wage pressure that's persisting um, and therefore underpinning the, those, those inflation pressures.
0: We've we've discussed a bit about the supply chain disruptions that that we saw with COVID and obviously Russia's invasion of Ukraine and obviously with Russia being a big oil producer and gas provider and also both Russia and Ukraine being big food exporters, that has caused a new round of of inflation in in energy and food markets. Things like fertiliser too are, are impacted. So, I mean, we probably... You could say we have had a bit of a perfect storm in the last couple of years. Do you think that's 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 fair?
1: I think that probably is fair. That's right. That's a very difficult situation to to manage through. Um, and, you know, when, when you're looking at policy today, when, when the reserve bankers, you know, they have to be a big question about, well, how, you know, how long are these supply shocks going to last? How long is the Ukraine war going to last? Um, what assumptions do you make about um, some of these supply side effects, like the, pri- the price of oil? Um, <clears throat> it could well be that the uh, price of oil goes up further through to the end of this year rather than coming off as the Reserve Bank is, is, is forecasting. So they, they have to make assumptions, but you know things could easily get worse before they get better. And in fact you know I think I was reading something um, last night about the um, you know the Russians reducing their supply of uh, uh, liquid natural gas uh, to Western Europe through the pipelines and so there's still this you know political uh, tussle going on between Europe and Russia and you know how these sanctions are working whether they're going to get tougher and whether Russia is going to come back with sort of you know, countermeasures by restricting supply.
0: So that, that moves us on nicely to the, the million dollar question or the billion dollar question, Grant. Um, now that the inflation genie is out, how do we get it back into its bottle? I mean, is it just a matter of central banks in, increasing their you know, official cash rate equivalents or, or is there more we need to be doing?
1: Well, it's, um, it's a pretty blunt tool, as you know, uh, monetary policy. I mean, they are truncating their quantitative easing. So most central banks now are sort of moving to some form of quantitative tightening. Uh, but, that's, but they're putting that in the background, and rightly so, in my view. So they're trying to sort of put that on autopilot so it's not a, a major uh, factor um that markets have to contend with. In the meantime, the main tool that they're using obviously is their their official cash rate, and they and they're moving that up rapidly and giving every indication in their forward guidance that it's going to move up significantly further. Um, and you know it's sort of three and a half, four percent is you know the territory that um, central banks are indicating these the the official cash rates will have to get to so that forward guidance is affecting the term structure of interest rates and you know that that will weaken domestic demand um it will work through the various transmission channels through wealth effects through sort of income effects effects on um, investment etc to bring domestic demand more back into line with supply and therefore reduce the inflation pressures. They're sort of hopeful that because inflation expectations are still relatively favourable when you look further out, that it may not be as tough a task as it was, you know, back in the sort of 70s, 80s, when central banks were grappling with really embedded inflation. So there is there is some sort of hope in the sense that longer term expectations are still, you know, down in the one to three percent range. My view is in in the New Zealand situation that really domestic demand could weaken quite quickly because it is very. It's always been very closely linked to the housing market in New Zealand, and as you know, the housing market is falling rapidly it's going to have um, flow-on effects into residential investment because developers' margins are shrinking rapidly as their material costs are going through the roof and the prices at which they can sell a house is, is falling. So, you know, I think that residential investment could slow sharply Plus, you've got the consumption weakening of consumption from, you know, wealth effects, the interest rate effects, mortgage rates. People are going to be rolling off, you know, two and a half percent mortgages onto five percent mortgages. You know, that's a significant um, bite into their effective disposable income. So, if you get some assistance from the supply side, in other words, um, you know, we get over the uh, China, Ukraine effects then you could see quite a sharp fall off in inflation if you have the supply side working uh, in your favor and and um the um weakening of domestic demand that i was talking about so i ideally i think it could be i think it could be quite a quite a you know people talk about soft landing hard landing i don't think it's going to be a soft landing i think it could be a hard landing but it may not be you know long lasting it may not be so traumatic. So you
0: you may not have caught it just before we we started a recording, but the March quarter um, GDP gross domestic product figure came in at zero point two. Sorry, it was down zero point two percent for the for the quarter. So I just wonder: are we are we looking at potentially a, a recession, which obviously would be two consecutive quarters of negative growth, and 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 potentially worse is is the best things the best two things that could happen. Would they be uh, Vladimir Putin pulling out of Ukraine and perhaps China ending zero COVID and uh, opening up all its ports again and everything like that?
1: Yeah, well, that's what I mean by, yeah, getting over these supply shocks uh, would be a great sort of turn, uh, you know, trigger for a turning point, plus weakening domestic demand, plus, plus, uh, you know, falling, Oil prices would be a great, um, you know, a positive move in terms of getting getting on top of inflation, but I think that, yeah we could easily see a technical recession of a, a you know a couple of quarters of negative um, GDP, and I th- I think you know the economy it's pretty hard to not see a, you know a weak economy uh, next year through this you know sec- later this year and into next year.
0: Yeah, and so we, we're probably looking at rising unemployment as well. I mean, that's obviously very low historically at the moment, with the official figure of just three point two percent.
1: Yes, so the Reserve Bank, I, I think they have it, you know, going up to you know four or four and a half percent or something of that order. And I think most central banks are, you know, for, forecasting relatively moderate increases in unemployment. But I think it'll depend a lot on the flexibility of wages, if wages sort of uh, try to ca- keep up with the current very high level of headline inflation, then that's going to be a real problem in terms of the difficulty of getting inflation down and the policy will have to be tighter for longer and unemployment would have to go higher. So the key to you know a softer landing in terms of the labour market is really having that um, real wage flexibility where wage earners are not fully compensated for the big headline uh, increases we're seeing now in the CPI. But, you know, that that will be a function, it will vary between countries, it'll vary depending on the tightness of the labour market, etc. I think uh, essentially the Reserve Bank here is that, you know, real wages will take a bit of a hit in order to accommodate that adjustment, hopefully that um, turns out correct.
0: Look, I, I think we've, we've talked through really in detail the, the, the specific issues in the world at the moment that are causing inflation. I'd just be curious just in terms of, to, to wrap up, obviously we, we cast our minds back to, to, to March 2018 and that, that post-global financial crisis period that ran up until COVID hit with price stability. We're now in this period of higher inflation Longer term, what's your expectation? I guess one thing that I'm curious about is we're going to be looking to move to a, um, a, a, a you know we're looking to mitigate the impacts of climate change and a net carbon zero economy is is part of the agenda there, and there are you know quite a, a few expectations around that that could be inflationary. So do you think sort of medium to longer term are we now in a period of higher inflation
1: um, I don't see any reason uh, for that to be the case so I mean, we, we've obviously had a disruption now but I think central banks generally are still focused on you know more or less two percent inflation targets in in the long term and they have the tools and the ability if they maintain their independence to to achieve that now, you're always going to have disruptions along the way and, and you can have big relative price movements and we may well see that in the energy sector with the relative price of energy increasing as we go through this sort of difficult transition to sustainable energy. Those things are always going to happen through, through history in different sectors. And I think you're right to say that, that it could be a rocky road for energy prices over the next sort of 10 years, but I see that as a separate issue to um, overall underlying inflation which central banks if they um, do their job properly they should uh, continue to deliver low inflation in the long term.
0: Well look Grant, thanks a lot for that. That's Grant Spencer who's adjunct professor at Victoria University's School of Economics and Finance and former Deputy Governor and Acting Governor at the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. And I'm Gareth Vaughan. This has been another episode of interest.co.nz's Of Interest podcast.